believing that God is good? Let me hear you say amen. 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 This evening I am just blessed to be here in Army. And I'm just thankful to God for what wonderful God He is. Isn't He a wonderful God? Because He is love. What do you say? Amen. amen. Tonight, I'm going to be sharing from the Word. I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start up opening text. And we're looking through several texts here. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 is the opening text. Presentation entitled tonight is called Fully Known and Yet Fully Loved. Fully Known and Yet Fully Loved. As I begin, I want to share you a little bit of my story. I believe, as a pastor here in the Hawaii Conference, I strongly believe in evangelism. Evangelism is life. Evangelism brought life to me, to my churches. And let me give you a little background on one of the churches. When I first started here about 12 years ago in the conference, there was a church that was given to me, and I, I decided that I was going to sneak up on this church, you know, my first assignment, sneak up on the church and see how they really are. So I, I, I snuck up, didn't tell anyone I was coming, my first assignment, I went to the back door, and I thought I could hide in a crowd, but I walked through the back of the church and I realized something, that including myself, there was less than 10 people within that church, and I couldn't hide. They picked me on and came straight to me and said, are you the new pastor? And i like, I guess I am, right? <laughs> I was so discouraged. I was so discouraged because, Lord, I asked myself, and here was this church, you know, it wasn't a beautiful building, it wasn't really nice, and I sat, and I remember sitting like, God, why did you call me to this church? You know, God started blessing. I said, you know what, we're going to do evangelism. We're going to start a program here. We're going to bring call porters in. We're going to bring Bible workers in. We're going to do tent meetings. And we did all things. You know, God really blessed. And, you know, before this time, two conference presidents had said that they wanted to shut down this church. Less than 10 people. There were problems. Financially, it wasn't doing well. So here I am. I went to this church. We, God really moved in a powerful way. And God blessed. So the numbers of attendance and baptisms, baptisms came. And people became baptized, and then the tide went up. You know, the conference loves those two numbers, don't they? <laughs> so those two numbers really, and it skyrocketed. And within the church, I mean, 150% in the first year, and it's gone up higher and higher, and, and more so. I love evangelism. God bless. Baptisms came. Our meetings came. We had Peter Gregory there for our first evangelistic meeting. And then we had... Um, tent meetings on and on and on. And then there was a woman named Yvette Takamine who happened to be baptized also. And that woman happens to be my current wife. My only wife <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> honest, honest Yvette. <laughs> so not only do I believe in evangelism, beloved, I love evangelism. What do you say? I've seen the good effects of it. But I want to tell you something this morning, beloved, this evening, 
and that is that evangelism is not the only answer to our church. And I know that the only thing that we hear a lot is pastors and church members that we must go out, we must save souls, we must do evangelism, we must bring them in. That is what we need to do, as if that's the only thing we need to do. And I came to this conclusion in my experience in ministry, and God taught me some lessons along the way. You see, think about this. In today's culture, it is very easy. Look at a culture out there, even Hawaii. People like to enjoy, right? They like to have sex out there, right? And they like to make babies, right? But they don't want to train these children up, and that's why they're not raising up their children. Who's raising up the children today? Ah, why do you think, where does all the thing, all of a sudden, why are we calling grandpa, we're calling papa now? It wasn't there 30 years ago. Mama, right? Grandma. They're raising up the children because they want to enjoy. See, people today, they want to they have the joy of having a baby and look at it. It's so cute, right? But they don't want to take the time to mentor them, to train them up, right, in the way that they should go. It's easy to have babies, but and there's another thing to actually raise up a child, is it not? To train a child. You do not see that in the culture. And let me parallel that inside of God's church today. Is that also true? We like to have, you know, when someone is born again, is that not a birth also? Does not the church get excited? We had 20 baptisms. We are excited for what we've seen. Do we not, do we not hear that also? Are we going, well, look at it. Those people got baptized. Praise God. Let them come in. But my question is, as they come in, are we training up these children in the way that they should go, that when they are old, they will not depart from the truth and the word of God, beloved? What do you say? And that's my journey God has been leading me on. Are we paralleling the world? Are we allowed the, the culture to come into our church? And are we doing the same thing? Are we more interested in bringing them into the church rather than they themselves? and for who they really are. You know, I've also, another question I've asked, why are they running away? I came to that conclusion. Now, I'm not somebody from the outside criticizing evangelism. I'm somebody from the inside who's done evangelism, who God has blessed in a mighty way, and God did all the work, but just an empty vessel to use, be used by God. But I, I'm coming from somebody on the inside who believes in evangelism. And I ask myself the next question, why are they running away? Then I have to ask myself this hard question. Think about it. The church is a home, is a family, right? That's what the Bible says. If an elder can't take care of his own house, how can he take care of the what? The house of God, right? If he can't take care of his own home, how can he take care of the house of God? In other words, the, the church is only... And it is actually an extension of the, the family at home. You know, if I go out and I adopt, have people adopted into my family, hanai them into my family, right? If my home is solid, if my home is strong, if I am reflecting Christ's character of love to everyone that I adopt into my home, they will want to stay, beloved. What do you say? Amen. Do I need to do more evangelism? In other words, I do evangelism, I bring them into the church, and as I bring 20 in, 10 leave within a year. 
Am I the only one, Bilal? In other words, I can go out and I can be aggressive in adopting as much young people into my home. And I can bring them in. And my question is, why are they running away? Is my problem that I need to go out and adopt more children and hanai them into my family? Is that the problem? Do I need to get better methods to reach them in a more tricky way to bring them into the church, into my home? Or maybe I need to stop, step back, look at the structure of my home, and look at the character of myself, and see that I need a revival and a reformation within my own heart. What do you say, beloved? Amen? Evangelism is not the only answer to our church tonight, beloved. You know, the Pharisees, the Bible says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you do everything, you go around the world for one proselyte. You know what a proselyte is? It's a convert, someone who's baptized. You will go all around the world for one proselyte. You know what he said to them also, the, the Pharisees? He said, and you will make them twice the what? Child of hell as yourself. In other words, the Pharisees believed in evangelism, beloved. They did evangelism. They were saying, go, go out. And they were bringing people into the church. They were successful. But they were, were reproducing the wrong character within these people. And thus they left or became bitter. Now, I thought about army's training. And you know when we train in the army, isn't the army trained or the armed forces trained to win? Amen? Aren't we supposed to win? So in other words, we are trained to win. We are, we are always to go out and we are to win. The parallel is we are to win against the battle, against sin, against pride, and against selfishness. What do you say, church? Amen? So God calls us to win these battles. And then I came to the experience in my, my own walk with God, and I realized that I was at a time in my Christian walk as a pastor that I wasn't experiencing this victory over sin. In other words, God has called his people in the last days to experience true victory over sin in their lives. And then I struggled, believing that there's victory over sin and we reproduce Christ's character because I can either say, you know, we cannot win the battle and not even try and say it doesn't matter what you do, just believe and God will save you. Or I can go out and believe there is victory over sin, but deceive myself that I'm actually gaining the victory. And then I came across this quotation, and I want to read it to you. And this, this is one of the quotations that changed my life. Because I realized I tried everything. At a point in my life, I lost my conversion experience as a pastor. And I was trying to gain the victory over pride and selfishness and conceit and envy and jealousy and sin in my life, and I wasn't gaining it. So I thought, I'm going to try and gain the victory over sin in my life through prophecy. I studied it as much as I could, and I did, and that did not bring the victory over sin. And then I thought, I'm going to do it if I do evangelism, and I did more evangelism, and did not bring the victory over sin. Then I brought, what if I just pray harder and, 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 and cleanse my teeth and my fist and just do it harder and God's going to work a mighty miracle. But I was still confessing the same old sins every day. You ever been there? And then I came with this quotation from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 76. God does not employ compulsory measures. Listen to this. Love is the agent which he uses to expel sin from the heart. What do you say, amen? 
I'll read it again because I want you to sink in your mind. This is the whole point of the sermon. Love is the agent which he uses to expel sin from the heart. Love is the means by which God uses to get sin out of your life. And then I ask myself my question. If this is true, then every, should not every sermon that I preach, should not every class that I teach, should not every presentation that I give, somehow reveal some aspect and clearly reveal some aspect of God's love for me and for you. What do you say, amen? Because if I want victory over sin, if we're serious about victory over sin, if we want to have characters, um, Christ's character of love reproduced within us, then we can't just pretend to go on that, you know, everything is okay when we're not really experiencing the transformation of our characters. And I realized that that love is that power. And I was missing that love in my life. I was doing evangelism. I was doing prophecy. I was doing all these things. I was being even successful in the conference size. God blessed in all those areas. But I was missing the, the, one, the one great thing out there. And the greatest thing is what? Amen. Was love. Amen. That's what I was missing. Because that's a powerful victory in my life. And I want to experience victory. How about you? Amen? It's amazing all this, how God just works. All the songs are all about love tonight. Do you guys notice that? Special music about love. God just knows what I need and what we need, huh? So tonight as we open the word, may God open our eyes to see a different aspect of God's character of love. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word, we know, Lord, we can do nothing without you. And Lord, I know I need you at this time. And may be Christ be uplifted. And may we see the love that we need. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 to 10. The Bible says, when did God love us? The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, beloved, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were yet sinning, while we were yet unrepentant, while we still enemies of God, while we still hated God, God still loved you and me. Is that not the gospel? Amen? That's the gospel. In other words, that love, when you see that love, it expels sin from your heart and my heart. That's the power. That's the gospel. And turn me to John 3, 16. I know you've been there. Let's, go, let's look at this text, though. John 3, verse 16. And you know it from, from memory. But I want, to look, I want to look at this, the order. And tomorrow we're going to go over chronological order in our class. But I want to look at what it says. It says here, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believing in him should not perish but have everlasting, what? Okay, now if you look at the order, the last thing you get is you're going to get everlasting life. But what must you do in order for you to obtain everlasting life? You must what? You must believe. And that is true. 
That's the part. In other words, you know, we hear it all the time. What must you, I do to be, to be saved? People say, well, you, you have to believe. As if we have to initiate by believing and God responds by saving us. And that is true. But the beginning does not begin with you and me believing. Before we even believe, what even makes us to want to even believe, beloved? John 3, 16 says, for God so what? He loved you first. And then when, not only did he love you, but also the Bible says he what? He gives you blessings. Now before you believed, after you believed, or was it before you believed? Before you believed. In other words, before you were changed, before you were transformed, before you became a new creature in Christ, before even when you hated God, you want nothing to do with God, God still blessed you, beloved. Amen? And God still loved you. Even though you did not repent, he still loved you. And that love that he has for you and the blessings he pours down into your life, that is what inspires you, initiates you to respond to believe, beloved. What do you say, amen? Because you believe, you have a transformed life and you have everlasting life. What a wonderful God we serve, amen? We're going to go a few stories here. Turn me to John chapter 4, verse 13. John chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to look at the first of all, the woman at the well. The woman at Sychar. What did Christ say to the woman? Notice the Bible says, John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, Jesus was saying to this woman that, you know, you can drink of the things of this world, but it's never going to satisfy you. The only thing that's going to satisfy is what I have to offer to you, and that is the love I have to give to you. What happened in verse 15? What did the woman then ask Jesus? No, the Bible says, The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. In other words, she wanted this water of love. She wanted this, this thirst to be satisfied within the deep longings of her heart. She wanted to be complete. And that's what she wanted inside of her. Look at verse 16 and 17. But before Jesus gave this water, I want you to notice what he did first. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, And Jesus said unto her, Go, call your husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I want you to notice that Jesus first enters into a forbidden realm of this woman's life. She thought that no one knew about. You see, why did this woman come at noon in the middle of the day? Why do you think she came? Because she knew that if she had come in the morning and in the evening where everyone else came during the day, that there would be people there talking about her, whispering about her, gossiping about her. And so she purposely came at noon. Why? To get away from all the gossip and the dirty looks that was going on about her. Now, this woman must have been asking herself the question and saying to herself, to Jesus, if he only knew who I really was, 
you wouldn't even be talking to me. You know, as I want you to notice, he said, she gave a short answer, right? Did she not? She said, I have no husband. Period. End of story, right? She didn't want to go any further. Even to have a conversation with someone, they're talking with them, and they give a short answer, and they want to change the subject. That's exactly what she did, right? She wanted to change the subject. And notice what Jesus said. What happened next in verse 17? The Bible says, Jesus said unto her, You have said, Well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you have now is not your husband. And that says thou truly. In other words, here was a woman who was searching for love her whole life. She wanted to experience what love was really all about. And she went from a first marriage. She married this one man. Can you imagine she's married to this one man? thinking that she found her true love. I call her her soulmate. And she's so excited. The wedding day comes. Everything's going well. And then, can you imagine a year later, going through the divorce papers and the agony and the pain she must be feeling? She got married and she got divorced, but it didn't end there. She got married a second time. And then she got divorced a second time. Then she got married a third time, and then got divorced a third time. Then got married a fourth time, and then got divorced a fourth time. Then got married a fifth time, hoping that this was true love, that the deep longings of her heart for true love would happen. But she got divorced a fifth time. Can you imagine what she must be going through? And then now Jesus said, man number six was a man that she wasn't even married to. She had given up a marriage that it never worked, so she, now she was shacking up with her boyfriend. And then... We're told here in the Bible that she had met man number seven, Jesus Christ. Man of completion, of love, to satisfy the deep longings of her heart for love. You see, this is what Jesus did. He made it known to the woman that he knew everything, all the dark secrets about her life, and yet he still loved her. He showed her that, I know about your past. I know about all your husbands. I know you're living in sin. I know all these things, but you know what? I'm still talking with you. I still love you. I still care for you. You know, something about us, we always like to put our best foot forward, do we not, everywhere we go? We want people to like us. We like people to love us. And we like to let people know, and we don't want people to know who we really were, because really are, because if they were to know who we really are, they wouldn't probably even talk to us or even want to spend time with us and accept us. But this is not how God works. For God knows everything there is to know about us, including our sins, and beloved, He still loves us. What do you say, amen? And beloved, this is how God wants His people to treat others. For God wants us to love others that no matter who walks, through the doors of our church, we're going to treat with them with the love and respect that God treats and shows to us. What was this woman's testimony to the world? Notice what it says in verse 29 and verse 39. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, she went out back to the city, and this was her evangelism. She said this, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. In other words, he was a man that told me everything. In other words, he knew everything there was to know about me. In other words, he was a man. When I was around him, I felt that I was fully known. And yet, 
fully loved. That was her, that was her evangelism. Not only did I see it, I experienced it, and I'm telling you about it. I was fully known, and yet I was fully loved. Let's look at another story. Turn me to a few chapters down. John chapter 8, verse 3 in your Bibles. The woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verse 3 in your Bibles. What did the religious leaders do? Notice the Bible says, John chapter 8, verse 3. The Bible says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Now the religious leaders of the church had set this woman up to commit adultery. In other words, the religious church members, the leaders within the church, they didn't have any love for this woman. All they had for this woman was condemnation. That's all they had for this woman. They didn't care about her. They didn't care if she lived or she died. They could care less about this woman. And notice what Jesus did. Verse 6. The Bible says here, continues on, But Jesus stooped down and with his finger rolled on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, what did Jesus write on the ground? Their sins. How do you know it's their sins? How do you know? They came and looked? Okay, good. Ellen White? <laughs> when, when was the time in the Bible that you see God writing with his finger? Ah, Ten Commandments. And by the knowledge of the law, there is what? Ah, sin. So Jesus is writing with his finger in the sand, was he not? He's writing, and where else in the Bible that God uses finger? In Daniel, representing what? Judgment. So you're writing the law and judgment and sin. And so he's writing in the sand of the law and judgment and their sins in the sand as he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now what did Jesus then say to the church leaders? Look at verse 7 and 8 of the, um, chapter of chapter 8. The Bible says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He had given the death decree. He said that you without sin cast a stone, but according to this woman called in doctor, she had expected that the first stone was going to be pelted against her, and she was to feel the stones against her body, and she was going to feel it crush out her life. She was expecting to die. She had heard the death sentence in her own mind. Now, what did the people then do when they saw the commandments and judgments of God and heard the challenges made by Jesus? Look at verse 9. The Bible says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. One by one they dropped their stones and they stood there, they slipped away one by one until all that was left was the woman and Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? 
Look at verse 10 and 11. What did Jesus say to this woman? The Bible says in verse 10 and 11, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and what? Sin no more. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say, Look at order again. Jesus did not say, go and sin no more. Then I won't have any condemning, lo- non-condemning love against you. He said, then I won't have any no- yeah, condemnation against you. Jesus said here and said, he said, if you, I, will have no conden- not, I have no condemnation for you, therefore go and sin no more. In other words, Jesus loved her. Here was a woman again who knew that she was fully known and yet fully loved. Amen? What a wonderful God we serve. Amen? He loves us so much. We serve a wonderful God. Here's a woman who said, here's a man who knows all about my disgraceful sin. And yet in the midst of this condemning church who condemned me, he does not condemn me. Isn't that the gospel? And that non-condemning love, when she saw the love, it was the means by which sin was expelled from her heart, and she went out to sin no more, beloved. Amen? She knew she was fully known, and yet fully loved. Let's look at our last story, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Turn me to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 in your Bibles. What did God ask Hosea to do? Notice the Bible says in verse 2. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 in your Bibles. The Bible says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land has committed great whoredom departing, from the Lord. You see, Hosea was a man of God. And now God comes to Hosea and says to Hosea, I want you to go out and I want you to marry a prostitute. Not a reformed prostitute, but a prostitute that still con- continues the act of prostitution. Can you imagine? You put yourself in Hosea's place. And now God's asking to marry. So he goes and he marries this, this woman and she did not change. The outward act of being involved in being married to Hosea did not change her inside. She was still the same woman. And thus she committed whoredoms and she slept with other men while she was still married to Hosea, God's prophet. Can you imagine? What happened next? Look at verse 9. Notice the Bible says in verse 9, Then said God, Call your third son, for his, call his name Loami. That's the third son. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. It was at this time that Hosea realized that all of his children that he had with his wife was not from himself. It was from other men. Can you imagine the pain? How many ever had somebody ever cheat on you? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Maybe not when you were married. But maybe you were boyfriend and girlfriend in high school and puppy love, and, you know, something happened where they cheated on you. I don't, have, I don't have bad luck, but it happened to me a lot. <laughs> I guess that's why I do relationships, I guess. 
But can you imagine you put yourself in Hosea's place and what he must be feeling at this time? Look at verse chapter 3, verse 1. What did God say Hosea to finally do? Notice the Bible says here. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. In other words, God called Hosea after his wife had left him and had gone to all these men, but finally she had separated. She had gone out to chase all her lovers, and he was left all alone with the children. And then one day God wakes him up in the middle of the night, and he says, Hosea, I want you to go after your wife. Can you imagine what he's saying to God? You mean the one that cheated on me? Can you imagine as he's going out and he's going to look, searching for his wife? And as Hosea went out, he remembered all those lonely nights waiting up for his wife. He remembered all those drawn-out vacations with her supposed girlfriends. He remembered all those times she returned home with the smell of other men's cologne. Can you smell it? Can you feel it? The pain is so deep. And he's searching for his wife, and God told him to search for your wife, your adulterous wife who's cheated on you, who's hurt you, who's broken up your home, who's hurt your children, and left you everything for her lovers. Can you imagine you're chasing the one who's probably still with another man? And where did God, where did Hosea find his wife? Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. The Bible says, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. Now, it says he bought her. Now, where are people bought? Slave markets. She was found in the slave markets of prostitution. Can you imagine what it must have been like? He bought her back for a few hundred bucks. Here was a woman who was at one time so beautiful at one time, so happy with her life, but now after many years of unsatisfied dreams, she was not even worth anything. Now I want you to put yourself in the wife's place, in Gomer's place. As you're there and you hear people bidding for you and the calling out numbers, there you think you hear the familiar voice of your husband. You were not expecting, but you think it was his voice and you thought it was, and you slowly look up and you realize that it was your husband. And now you're miserable. And all the people you hurt, the last person you were to think to even see was your husband. And there he was, bidding for you, loving you. And although you knew that you were not worthy, although that you knew that you had given him many sleepless nights, although that you knew that all of your children were from other men, you knew that somehow he still loved you. And it's at this point you finally realize that where you were at, you were fully known and yet fully loved. what happened? I want you to notice what happened. It didn't stop there. The love came, yes, but it's always two parts. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And I said unto her, You shall abide for me many days. 
Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for any men, so will I also be for thee. In other words, these are commandment words, right? There's an obedience here. In other words, there was a call for obedience, but I want you to notice the order again. It wasn't the call, and then you be obedient, and then I would love you. No, it was the love of God, and then that love in her heart that she saw, and she saw the love that her husband had for her, she was willing to do and go out and sin no more. What do you say, amen? amen? And the love she experienced, love was the means by which sin was expelled from her heart. And she would go to sin no more. And she would be faithful to her husband. Why? Because Not because she had gotten married and externally she had made vows. But now her heart on the inside had been transformed. It had been changed. It had seen God's love that expelled the sin. She would willingly, from a heart out of love, want to obey Hosea for the rest of her life and for eternity. What does that mean to us? Look at verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord to the children of Israel. Beloved, tonight, God compares the love that Hosea had for his adulterous wife with the love that he has for the adulterous Seventh-day Adventist church. And God is not just expecting us just to be obedient for obedience's sake. God comes with a message, and that's why I believe that truth of the spirit of prophecy. The last message, the one message, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of what? Of love, beloved. In other words, while we're wandering around in the wilderness, figuring how we're going to get in and how much more, tense we, more intense we need to become, there comes a message in the last days that there is going to be a power outside of ourselves, and that power is called love. And this love is going to expel sin from our hearts that there's going to be a final generation that's going to have the character of Christ's love perfectly reproduced within his people. What do you say, church? Amen? And that's the message God has for us. For his people. And I'm sharing you from a heart from somebody who has agonized thousands of nights in my sleep, of sleepless nights trying to find that peace, that victory that can only be found. And I know we can say God and found in God and found in Jesus, but I want to make it more clear that we don't miss the word because 1 John 4 verse 8 said that God is what? It's love, beloved. Amen? That is what we need in this world. God's people needs the power of his love. I, how do I know that? Because I need that in my life. There's a story of a young woman named Christina who lived in Brazil. And Christina couldn't wait to the day she could get away from her mom and her home. Her mom's name was Maria. And she was longing for that day and finally when she felt she was old enough and she had saved enough money, she was there um, made plans and she had packed up her bags and one morning as Maria had gotten up and went to check on, on her daughter and peeked into the room, she found out that her daughter had run away. 
quickly she realized what had done because, you know, a girl that young, there's only one thing that you could do. She had run away to Rio, and the only thing, one thing you could do in Rio was to become a prostitute. And so, so quickly she gathered all the things, a bag, and she got all the money she could, and she went, and she jumped on a bus, and the first thing she went, she went to one of those photo booths. You know those little booths you take pictures, right, of yourself? And so she took all the pictures of herself she could. She took picture and picture until she had almost run out of money. She put it all together and then she wrote messages on each picture on the back of them. Then she went into Rio looking for her daughter. And she went all the places of irrepute, all the places she thought her daughter would probably go to. So she went to the nightclubs, to the bathrooms, and put it on the bathroom window. She went to all the prostitution houses. She put it on the bulletin board. Then she went to all these gambling places and she put it in the phone booth, hoping that one day her daughter would see the picture. Finally, Maria ran out of her money and she had decided to go home. She went home, hoping that her daughter would see that picture. Several months later, Christina was walking down the steps, all these unsatisfied dreams of her life. And she started walking down these steps and what she thought would be happiness. She now realized that her life had not turned out the way she had wanted to turn out. That she was miserable, she was not happy, and yet home seemed so far away. And as she went toward down to the steps to use the, the phone and she realized she caught a, a sight of something she realized that she recognized, and that was a picture. And she moved a little bit closer, and it was a picture of her mother. And she thought, what would a picture of my mom being in this, in this prostitution house? And she went closer, and she saw, and it was a picture of her mom. She pulled it off the bulletin board, and she looked at it, and then she flipped it over. And then she read those words. Whatever you have done, whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. Beloved, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you become. God wants you to come home. What do you say? can't do it on your own. There's no fancy formula of evangelism or prophecy, Bible study or prayer, and they're all good. But we need the love of God. What do you say? I need the love of God. How about you? What do you say, amen? We live in a world that loves us only for what we have done or maybe what we might become. Rarely do you see God's love where we're going to love people just for them. Who would love me for me? And who would love you for you? I'm going to make an appeal. A simple one. And this appeal is that you ask God to open your eyes to reveal his character like Moses said before he went into the promised land. Lord, show me your what? glory. God's glory is his 
Show me a character of love. That's all he prayed. Then he went to the promised land. Show me a character of love. Reveal that to me. I may not be able to, you know, you can hear a sermon about this, and you may be able to see it, but only God can reveal it to you. And so that's all we can pray, like Moses prayed, Lord, show me who you are. Show me a character of love. I make an appeal, but also I make a second appeal attached to that, and that is this. Please don't stand because of someone else. I'm going to ask you to make a stand as we, they sing this song, Love Me, For Me. But I'm going to ask you, you want to make a commitment to God? Say, God, I don't know who you are. I want you to reveal your love because I need that love in my life to reflect God's character love. I'm going to invite you to stand as they sing, Love Me.
Father, we are grateful tonight for your revelation of your love to us. Father, hearts are pure as they cry out from the deepest longings of their soul to see your character. Lord, I want to see you tonight. And everyone who stands want to see your glory, your character in these last days. We pray to behold your glory that we'll be transformed into that very image. Bless everyone here as we continue to seek your face. We thank you for those who made a commitment tonight by standing. Bless them in a special way tonight. We thank you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.